Today on the Alco's Mainstream Podcast, we had a fascinating discussion about the intersection of culture and finance with Nicholas Julia of SoRare. Nicholas founded SoRare to build a next generation entertainment giant. His NFT platform is enabling people to live at the intersection of work and play. They can play fantasy soccer and trade digital collectibles and earn money while doing so. Nicholas has built SoRare into an astronomical success in a short period of time. He grew a team smaller than a starting 11 on a football pitch to hundreds of millions in sales and a record-breaking $680 million Series B led by SoftBank in 2021. SoRare is an integral part of the NFT market growth as they enable people to play fantasy soccer and collect and trade NFTs of professional soccer players. They're building a critical piece of market infrastructure for the NFT and sports world by leveraging crypto rails to enable an incredible consumer experience revolving around sports and collectibles. On today's conversation, we covered a number of topics, including the merging of culture and finance, how SoRare is building a next-generation entertainment brand across multiple sports, how NFTs are integral in on-ramping the next 100 million to billion users to the world of crypto, the game within a game, how players are playing games within the game of football, and how the beautiful game, soccer, cards, and NFTs are really a sleeping giant in the U.S., and how women's sports can benefit from the world of NFTs and how bringing on an advisor like Serena Williams can help SoRare achieve that. Thanks, Nicholas, for coming on the Alco's Mainstream Podcast. Hope you enjoy. We're going mainstream. Nicholas, welcome to the Alco's Mainstream Podcast. Hi, Michael. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure, pleasure to have you on the show. I think we got a lot of exciting things to talk about. SoRare, sports, investing, NFTs, like what, what could be better, right? So first, let's start with the beginning. How did you end up in the world of crypto? Yeah, so that's a long story, but let's make it short. I'm in the space since 2015. First, I discovered blockchain technology, as we call it, working for consultancy, then I started to dig and I discovered Bitcoin. I became fascinated by it. And, and then I joined a, a startup in the crypto space in Paris. That was back in 16. I spent, I think, two years and a half in this startup. So leveraging the Bitcoin blockchain to bring trust and certainty around critical data for big corporates on complex processes. And then I think it was early 18, I saw the NFT standard popping up on the Ethereum blockchain with these early use cases, crypto kitties and so on. And I was like, okay, it's it's going to change the way people own stuff online uh, because now we have this way to authenticate and secure something digital. So that was fascinating to me. And, and then I was like, okay, this is much more appealing to a mainstream audience uh, than cryptocurrencies. I was struggling to explain Bitcoin and ETH to my friends and so on. And then I was like, okay, like they share a lot of these properties, like digital scarcity, portability, true ownership, all those things. 
but they are unique and you can emotionally relate to it because there's something that you can put on top of this technology, like uh, being a player face or whatever. For those reasons, I was like, okay, I'm going to bet my career on it. Uh, it's going to be huge. One of the key features of this technology uh, of this NFTs is digital scarcity. And I was like, okay, it's human beings have been collecting in the physical space for centuries. And now we are talking about a technology that are enabling them to do it on the web. Their lives are becoming digital. They're going to love it. So that's how I got start, started with, with Surround, seeing this technology, combining it with my huge passion for sports, and then being like, okay, if you want to, co to create this cult collectible brand in the NFT space, if you want to create something that is bigger than collecting and trading, you need a usage value. That's where the fantasy comes in for the fans to use their scores every week and tomorrow every day. Uh, with Surreal, we are at this intersection of NFT, partnership with the leagues and the clubs, and usage value through the fantasy game. One aspect of SoRare that I find fascinating is it's like many of the gaming startups in the crypto or NFT space. It's really an on-ramp for many people to interact with the crypto economy. How much do people need to know about crypto or have to use crypto in order to use SoRare? Yeah, so it's a, it's a good question. In terms of uh, audience, we went from, you know, there's early adopters like crypto enthusiasts to like, like uh, broadening the audience, then moving to fans where we are loving to playing game with someone involved and then fantasy players and so on. But to, to answer your question more directly, right now you can buy those NFTs with a credit card. All the work we have been doing is to abstract the complexity for people so that they can, you know, enjoy the game and enjoy collecting in a smooth way. We built all this infrastructure so that we store the private key if you want it, like Coinbase, and you don't have to set up a wallet and, and so on. I want our users to feel the benefits of NFTs without the hassle. I want them to feel the digital scarcity. I want them to feel the portability to all the games. I, I want to, them to feel the tradability and so on. But all these features, feeling the benefits without having to explain what it is and how it works and so on. I can certainly attest to that. This weekend, I bought a John Boy Bornstein card, just using my credit card. You have the, the options. You have Ramp and MoonPay, which make it easy for people to pay in fiat, which is, is really cool. And I think that gets into something that you touched on in your opening comments, where it was really about sports is so much about culture. And then how do you think about onboarding the next 100 million to billion people? We've seen this trend over the last year, and SoRare is really at the forefront of that, where cultures become finance and finance becomes culture. How do you think that that's manifested itself with sports and, and NFTs? That, that's a very important point. In, in some ways, you can look at our platform as a marketplace where you can trade valuable collectibles. You can also look at what we are doing through the lens of our game and the usage value of these cards. And in the middle, you have the, the IP of these clubs and the leagues, so culture. So that's how I look at it. And I think that right now, we managed to build a highly liquid marketplace for these assets. We did 325 million in sales volume last year without any paid marketing. And the market is very healthy if you look at the evolution of the prices and so on. This is something we are quite proud of. And, and now we are trying to make the game simpler, more accessible, more fun, to add this fun element, this social element, so that we can really put the athletes at the center of our product and the fun at the center of our product and your friends at the center of the product. So there's so much to unpack here. But on the last point about making the players at the center of this, I think there's two places I want to go. One is the trend that players are now extremely powerful. In some ways, they're the connection to the fan or have more power than the clubs or the leagues themselves. So how did 
NFTs enable that? That's a good question. So I'm, I'm going to touch on OIC NFTs and why, what do I feel are the special power. So um, we're going to, in, in the next decade, create a cult, cult brand around those NFT collectibles and there's a huge collectible value, trading value around them. But what I want to create are experiences for fans to enjoy these NFTs. One of the beauty of these NFTs is that in the physical world, you let them in your like album or whatever, and then they sit here and that's fine. Some of them get value, some not. But that's it. That's pretty much it, right? There's very few the use that you can do with them. We have so many experiences to unlock with the ownership of the NFT. So my vision for them is that they unlock the best sports experience in the digital and in the physical world. In our case, because you own the NFT collectibles, you can access cool fantasy games where you can win money can't buy experiences, more NFTs or cryptocurrencies and so on. But you can also have access to uh, cool uh, physical experiences. Maybe you can meet Lionel Messi because you own some of these uh, valuable NFT collectibles. Maybe you can access the training ground at the stadium. Maybe you have a discount to go to the stadium. And really this intersection between the physical and the digital is really interesting to me. That's what I keep on answering when I get asked about the metaverse and so on. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, yeah, the world I want to build is not like a world where I spend all my time scrolling uh, in the metaverse or moving in the metaverse. I love this interaction. And uh, that's what we are trying to build here. So this kind of interoperability between the physical and digital world, is that really the power of NFT and why an NFT enables this to happen, but not a physical collectible? Well, uh, I think that different use cases will unleash different features. We may see some pure collectible plays that are going to work very well and others are going to unleash other features. But but I I think that's definitely a, a very interesting feature because if you think about you own this NFT, you are part of a club. And when you are part of this club, you can do way more than just collecting and trading. I think that then you bring social, you build a place where you want to meet new friends and to hang out with your friends and so on. I have fun playing this game, these experiences and so on. For, for all, of the, all those reasons, I think it's much more powerful in terms of potential enjoyment for the fun. So how many people are going to so rare to trade and invest in collectibles? And to that point, you have cards. I saw this weekend, there's cards listed for 2.2 million euros. And I know Cristiano Ronaldo cards have sold for a few hundred thousand euros on the platform. Is it for investment value and it just happens to be a digital collectible and all the properties of an NFT are you know appealing to people and that's stored on the blockchain, it's digital, all of that? Or is it, like you said, is it the experience of game playing and potentially the connection to the physical world, like the Gerard Piquet experience that you have where people could meet with Piquet and if they were owners of the, the NFT cards that he has on the platform? Do you find that there's one pull for a user on so as to why they're using the platform? Yeah, I, I think that's my answer is going to be that there's a variety of reasons. At the moment, we have maybe half of the audience that is like looking after the collectible value and maybe half that is mainly here to enjoy the game on a very regular basis. For the collectible value, of course, the, the player is important. Haaland sold for over 600,000. That was our biggest sales on the primary market a couple of days ago. I think mainly like the collectible value of having the Sora account 
Hollande of uh, Holland, maybe one of the best prospects in the world of soccer. And then you have the serial number, you have the nationality, you have the design of the car, the season, the rookie status or not of the car, all these collectible reasons. And then, of course, you have the usage value. If a player is young, you're going to use it for several seasons. I think this is something really new in our game. The fact that we put the scouting element at the center. And so if you buy this player, I don't force you to buy again next season. You can keep the NFT and keep on playing him across the seasons. So the usage value is important. The quality of the player, uh, the number of game modes you can use him, very important. What you're getting at is something that's fascinating. And we've both talked about this in, in our own ways, which is the time spent doing something that you love can now actually equate itself to creating or earning value. What you're saying is somebody who is a massive football fan, who loves Erling Haaland, they can spend that time scouting a player like that and then understanding the value of that card, why it's a valuable card, not just now, but because of Haaland's potential in the future. How do you think about so rare in the context of leveraging your time to actually earn money and maybe even make a career in a way that wasn't possible before. Totally, totally. And we have like plenty, plenty of examples of community members that developed an edge in specific leagues. And the good news is that, yes, it's totally new for the fans. It's amazing to see some players following the G League in Japan or the K League in South Korea, suddenly having their passion that becomes something more than a passion. It's huge news for those leagues as well, because no, they have way more exposure and you have people in the U.S. starting to wake up during the night to, to watch a game in the league that they, they, they were not really aware before. So yeah, touching on the benefits for the leagues uh, and the clubs, we are opening a new revenue stream, but also helping them to grow their audience, which at the end of the day is maybe the most important thing because that's where they're going to negotiate the, the media deals. So yeah, that's very cool. Well, on that point, you've actually made a conscious decision to partner with the leagues and the teams and actually work with them. You have licenses with them. Walk us through the thought process of doing that and also the complication of doing that. It can't be easy dealing with all of these different leagues and teams but also you're showing them why there's value. Exactly, exactly. There's a lot of value for them. I know we have more than 250 clubs so most of the soccer world is in, is in the platform and um it, it, it comes down to offering the fans what they want, what they love. And so they love the players. So you need the players in some way. So sometimes it's for the league. Sometimes you, know, you need to go to a player association. But whatever the, the vehicle, you need to have the player faces and names. They are the center of what we do. Like we have dozens of them that invested in the platform. Uh, some of them are public, some, some are not. But they are heavily involved in what we build and what we do. And then you need to have the marks of the clubs uh, and the leagues and so on, because that's how you build an authentic product. And there's still a big part of the soccer community that is, you know, very attached to a specific club or league. So I think that's one of the uh, key reasons. And the second one is also then leveraging their reach to grow the audience. We have exclusive and very long-term deals with this leagues, like Liga in Spain, Bundesliga in Germany, and so on. They are bringing not only their IP, but also marketing assets that we're going to start in the coming weeks and months to leverage. Dozens of posts in social media networks and, and VIP hospitality and all that money can't very experiences and so on. So I, I think for this reason, it's also very important to have a relationship with them. Do the league see this as the next level of fan engagement in a world where in-game ticket sales are generally going down, OTT media is increasing? Is this the way in which leagues see that 
this is how they can interact with fans and make fans continue to be engaged? Yeah, definitely. I think that's definitely a way to engage with fans. When you look at our our engagement metrics, like we have retention rates above uh, 65%, like very high atmosphere, uh, like users uh, spend on average one hour per day on the product just on Sora.com. I'm not accounting for all the side games and applications built on top. So there's huge engagement around the product. But I think that's Again, that's also this new revenue stream. Let's be like blunt, like they like specifically in the world of soccer, they, they need this this influx of cash, and this is something that is appealing to them as well. And the last one again is growing the audience, and so not only engaging the existing community, but reaching a new audience, particularly new markets like the US, where we are growing very strongly. You know, as as, as you think about engaging fans engaging players, engaging the leagues, and, and helping everybody monetize from all of that, your slogan is own your game. What does that mean in the context of NFTs of so rare and how people are actually able to monetize and do something they love at the same time? I think that first, it's about owning the game items that you are playing with. During the last decades, fans, gamers would spend billions and billions and dozens of billions in-game content. And at the end of the day, they don't own it because you cannot trade it. You cannot sell it. You cannot uh, use it the next sports season. You cannot move it outside of this closed environment. Literally, it's just uh, like you are loaning something. Like you, you cannot, you, you don't really own it. We want to bring this power back to the fans. If you spend money on a game item, on a collectible, you need to truly own it and do whatever you want with it. If you want to trade it, trade it. If you want to move it, move it. But you truly own it. So that's where it comes from, on your game. And then on your game, it's also in the sense where you are kind of a, a, a club owner because you're going to buy the players that you want. You are a coach because you strategize to build your team during all the game weeks and you are a player at the end of the day. You have all these positions that are interesting in the life of a sports team and you truly own your game in, in the way that you make the decisions. You are empowered to make this decision. So yeah, it's a bit of both. You've created the games within the game. The game within the game, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So... Are players able to monetize from this as well? So their cards, obviously, it has their name, image, and likeness, in a sense, uh, on the cards. Are they actually able to benefit from when there's a primary issuance? Because we've seen some sort of protobations of this happen in the context of like, there's player stock markets, which haven't tended to work super well, but players are creating value on the field. I think of players as creators. Are they then able to benefit from people buying and selling their cards? If you, so rare, are the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ of of NFT sports cards and collectibles. So yes, they are able to do it. It really depends in terms of money flow, right? All the money is flowing to them. It depends of the existing constructs in different leagues and geographies. So you have certain models where it's from the contract between the player and the club. And you have other models that like, like in the US where you have the player association, where you have an agreement. And so part of the sales that you are generating are going back to the player of, uh, through the player association and then you have the league agreements that serve a different purpose but but at the end of the day part of the money is going back to the player obviously and then are some players also users of so rare and playing the game either buying their own cards or buying their teammates or friends cards yeah yeah so we have this verified status in the marketplace you mentioned Gerard Piquet previously and so on so yes they are buying cards sometimes they are buying their own cards sometimes they are buying cards of friends and when they become verified we issue a, a verified 
count, uh, a unique count with an autograph uh, of the player. That's the player edition count. So that, that's a cool thing. So most of the stores are keeping this count for them. But we have some lower profile players that playing in tier 2 or tier 3 leagues that sometimes sold it for a very decent of money for them. So that's cool. So you're really enabling people who understand the game, whether they're players or just fans, to actually benefit from their understanding and, and passion for the game, which is fascinating. I guess one, one question I have on that point related to what you said about there's really unique cards that might have an autograph of a player. How do people think about value when it comes to cards there are cards that are unique one of one or one of a hundred which may have more value than the one of a thousand cards but then there's also the sentimental value how do you think people assess value when it comes to these collectibles and and how do you help them do that as a platform you have some intangible value as you mentioned like emotional value i'm seeing lots of players that this card was my first card or this card was the one that helped me win this physical experience and i am going to keep it forever or whatever so you have this type of uh, intangible value you have uh, obviously the collectible value and then the usage value and then if you are speaking about the, the monetary value of some of the Discounts. We have third-party tools like SoarData.com, uh, which is a company building on top of us where we invested in, which is providing a lot of insights for people that want to have a look at it. So th- that point is fascinating because if we think about the financialization of everything, including NFTs and collectibles, you're basically building the market infrastructure, right? In equities markets, we have Bloomberg and we have Thomson Reuters as pre-trade market data. We then have the exchanges. We then have post-trade. We have custody and clearing. How do you think about a platform like SoRare in terms of the market structure of investing in collectibles all the way from pre-trade or investment all the way to post-trade? Yeah, so on, on our side, we are uh, issuing the cards. So so we have this marketplace where uh, we operate the primary and the secondary market, right? Regarding the primary market, we have these agreements with the clubs where we get the assets and the right to issue them. We have a very strong social contract with the community that is backed within the smart contract about the number of cards that we can issue per player per year. Uh, and so we issue them through, through the, the seasons. Then we have this secondary marketplace where users can trade the cards. I think what's cool is that we went way beyond the traditional features of selling the cards. So you can do some complex things like swapping cards or trading two cards plus money versus one card. So we have different ways to trade cards. This market is becoming really liquid right now. We have direct offense, which is something that is really proving to be an amazing reactivation feature. So for instance, I would have a look at your gallery because I know you and I see that this card is not for sale, but I will you know, send you an offer. I offer you like 20 bucks for this discount. And maybe you haven't had a look at your account for the last two weeks. And then it's like in the old days of Facebook, you are tagged in this picture. I don't know if you remember that, but and then you get back into the product, right? And so that's an amazing feature on the marketplace. We plan to do way more, like the ability for the users to, make, to put text messages or to negotiate around a specific NFT collectible. And then there's way, way more that we will do or other companies building on top will do. I'm, I'm sure maybe your, one of your follow-up questions could be like lending cards and you know, all, all, all those type of things that we could consider. I think that right now we are really focused on the social part, on the fun part, the gameplay, and making it accessible to millions and dozens of millions of fans before pushing hard on more like the market-based stuff, but the potential is insane there. 
Do you want to own more of the market infrastructure from pre to post trade? Like you mentioned something like lending, you have custody. So you, you have the custody of those assets. So you can see what people's values are, and then you could potentially lend against it, which I think is a big theme in 2022 in crypto, which is liquidity for people because people might have multi-million dollar collections, but you know can't get that value by a bank. So how do you think about the evolution of the market structure built around SoRare? And do you want to build more of that out yourself? Or do you just want to let people build on top of you and you focus on the kind of the, the exchange itself? I think, look, that we, we're going to be pragmatic here. And we are like an entertainment company at the core. Like we are building a, a cult brand around as NFT collectibles and bringing usage value for them in the fantasy game and in the physical world. That's what we do. And so, yes, we will be pragmatic. Probably some complex features can be outsourced or built by the community. And I know there's several teams that are building some of these projects at this moment. That's fascinating. So you consider yourself an entertainment company. Walk me through that statement and why. I think that if we want to unleash the, the true potential of this NFT collectibles and the ownership of these collectibles, we need to go beyond the, the act uh, of, of collecting and the act of trading them. I think that you need to be exceptional at that. Creating a, a cult collectible brand is about being an entertainment company, right? Because uh, it involves a lot of, of this and not only like markets, infrastructure and market knowledge. Of course, you need to have very strong economies and data scientists and so on, but it's way more than that. And I think that we saw a lot of failures uh, in the officially licensed NFT space where people were thinking about, okay, look, I'm going to get the IP from this league. I'm going to put it in the marketplace and then it's going to work and I'm going to, you know, create all these cool features for the market but it's not about that it's it's about that but not only right and so yes you need that part and i think that really to unleash the power of, of this items you need to enable fans to engage with them and for them to to unlock experiences what's fascinating about what you're saying is that this is like what we said this is the the intersection of culture and finance entertainment companies traditionally haven't been able to include the financialization of culture in what they're doing. But because you have this marketplace, because you have the blockchain and are leveraging NFTs, you're able to do that, which is fascinating. Yeah, exactly. No, no, totally. What are some of the things from here that represent the evolution of this market and of so rare? Let's start with soccer cards, football. I tried to play in Europe, so I, I like to call it football too. But for the American audience, we'll call it soccer. Why do you think soccer cards and NFTs are a sleeping giant? outside of places like Europe or Asia, Africa or Latin America, where soccer is so popular. But why the U.S. as a sleeping giant for, for the world of soccer? I, I think it's growing fast from the data we see, specifically amongst the younger generations. It's one of the top three sports played by the youngest generation in the U.S. at the moment. It's for women as well, which is a very important new segment for us in the coming months. It's going to grow as the sport grows. We have the World Cup coming to the U.S. Uh, in 26, and I think we're going to see this trend accelerating with this milestone and we want to be the brand that bring this product really to the mainstream. Interesting. And how do you think about soccer competing with other mainstream sports in the US like football, basketball, baseball, hockey? 
I think there's 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 room for different of the sports. There's different seasons where like the peak European football is different than peak NBA and and peak uh, NFL and so on. I think there's room for the different sports to coexist. And I think that brands like us building experiences and engagement around the sports are going to be critical to grow the sports in the US. Do you think that a sport as global as soccer? I mean, people like me in the US who are football players who are, are are fans of the game. I would religiously watch Fox soccer growing up and I'd watch the European leagues. I'd watch the English Premier League and I, I would know players in other parts of the world. Do you think that that's something that will help build the game of soccer here in the U.S. and that you're enabling players? Sure, they can buy MLS players too and, and play with them as part of their fantasy team on SoRare, but they can also buy a player from the the English league or La Liga, uh, et cetera. And that enables them to leverage their knowledge and passion for the game and just do that in a global sense. No, no, totally, totally. I think that's, that's very important. And we are seeing that leagues like Liga MX, the Mexican League, and the Premier League are progressing quite strongly in the U.S. The MLS is doing an amazing job, obviously. So that's definitely one thing. I think another thing is that during this year, we're going to launch at least two new major U.S. sports. And I see our product as a global marketplace for, for sports fans. And so you can imagine trading a, a, a Lionel Messi card against a LeBron or whatever. And so you're going to have like kind of, you know, cross-selling. And so I think that's appealing for uh, U.S. leagues to tap into our kind of uh, European and Asian audience and for football leagues to tap into the, the U.S. sports audience too. That's fascinating. So how do you think people will think about value in that context, both in the context of trading one collectible card for another, but also as you think about creating so rare teams, will you have a team that will have a footballer, an NFL player, a basketball player, all on the same team, and they'll play each other. I know they're different seasons, so it may be more complicated than that. But how do you think about those aspects of kind of of cross chain in the sports context? <laughs> so it, yeah, it, it remains to be seen how it plays out. Obviously, like we we are still to launch uh, the, the sports, but it's going to happen this year. I think I will be back to my framework, like collectible value. Collectible value is about scarcity, design, uh, serial number, player quality, like club, and so on. And then usage value, like what do you unlock in terms of in-game value, in terms of money can't buy experiences, and so on. So yes, it's going to be fascinating to see that and to see how it plays out between sports. Well, on, on that point, you planted a flag in the US. You brought on Ryan Spoon, who had spent time at ESPN, at MGM. How do you think about building this multi-sport brand, especially given that the U.S. is market to so many sports that are unique to the U.S. and maybe not as, as prevalent in other parts of the world? Yeah, as I, I told my team no later than today, we are building this company at this moment with two legs. We have this office in New York where we are building and launching U.S. sports, but also helping the football products to enter the U.S. market. And then we have this Paris office where we have our operations around football. We are close to the leagues here and we have our, our football team that's mostly here. I think being close to the leagues there, growing the team there with world-class leader, you mentioned Ryan Spoon, who spent like eight years building at TSP and the digital team and the fantasy game to the place where it is today and, and a bunch of amazing leaders uh, from DraftKings and Facebook and, 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 and Google and so on is very important to us. At, on that point, you know, building a global brand that's at the intersection of entertainment, of sports, of finance, what's the advice that you would give to people 
who are maybe building their careers who want to work in this world because it takes such a multidisciplinary skill set to build a team like this. So how would you think about hiring and what skill sets you'd look for in that context? I think it's all about the stage of your company. So in the very early days, what you need, so you need two types of persons. You need people that are able to build and people that are uh, able to sell. So like during one year and a half, two years, my team was very narrow. When we signed the term sheet for a Series B, 680 million led by SoftBank, the headcount was 17. So that speaks to like where we were in the early days. We took being at seven employees for almost two years. This one team, like very close in person together and only engineers building the product and product designers and me and another person closing the deals with the leaks. That's it. You couldn't even field a football team with that, with yeah, that size even, team. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Maybe exactly. a five-side team and that's about it. And, and you got to a $680 million Series B. That should be less than the entrepreneurs out there that, that being lean and mean is a great thing to be. Yeah, I know, no, exactly. And being obsessed about hiring and, you know, hiring only the best. And, and then, no, obviously we are growing fast. So now we are already way above 50 and going to be 200 by the end of the year. So now we are broadening a lot. We have obviously still engineers and product designers. So we need a lot of uh, people on marketplace operations with finance, economics, data science backgrounds, and then marketing people, finance people, really are hiring on a very broad range of positions. Well, you mentioned that you plan to expand both the types of sports brands that you want to get into geographically, you've expanded. And then you mentioned this as well, that you want to get into areas like women's sports. You think that's a big opportunity it was very newsworthy when you brought on Serena Williams, one of the world's greatest tennis players, if not the greatest tennis player of all time, as a board advisor. And amongst other things, it sounds like she'll help bring so rare to the women's sports world. So why and how can NFTs unlock more interest and capital flowing into women's sports? And what's the significance of that? I think that that's all about engagement. And I think that women's sports deserve world-class entertainment experiences and uh, I'm not sure we are here. I'm not sure that the existing comp entertainment companies prioritize this to make it really front to the existing products and, and compelling within their own experiences. So that's what I want to do. And I think that in terms of business potential, half of the world is women. We need to serve them the way they deserve to be served with the best products. I think that that's the way partnering with these leagues you know, to help them grow the sport. In that context, why do you think NFTs are not just a fad? Is, is this the type of thing that makes NFTs here to stay? I think that in terms of technology, when you are coming from a world where you cannot own to a world where you can own things online, that enables dozens and hundreds of use cases that were not possible before. Because that gives power, so you mentioned, to the creators or to the fans, and that this is totally changing the, the game. I, I think that for those underlying reasons and all the properties that were not possible with uh, traditional digital collectibles, like true ownership, digital scarcity, portability, all those things, makes me think that's the new infrastructure for anything of value on the web basically i think tomorrow like anything of value on the web will be an nft nfts are going to be the bricks uh, of this digital world or metaverse or whatever you want to, to to call it so it sounds like sure some nfts may or may not have value but it's the foundational properties of nfts that will make this so revolutionary 
Yeah, totally. 99% of them will not have value or lose value, but the giants of tomorrow are being built today. And yes, they're going to be the infrastructure of the world of tomorrow. Yeah. And it sounds like the things you can do with NFTs, whether or not a certain player's card may have collectible value, but connecting to the physical world, having an experience with that, authenticating ownership that this is like an autograph signed by a player, or this is related to a specific game that people went to. It sounds like those are pretty big ideas and and enable things that you just couldn't have before. Exactly. And you are touching again on this intersection between the digital and the physical. Imagine that because you were in this specific location and you unlock something or that does something to your NFT, there's plenty of very exciting things and plenty of exciting ways to make your NFT truly unique. And one of the cool features of the NFTs that we haven't discussed is traceability. Because we can track all the change of ownership of the NFT, we have this audit trail that lives forever on the blockchain. In our platform, you can see that you are buying an NFT that has been owned maybe one year ago by Lionel Messi. And so talking about value and part of the collectible value, not only is on the face of the card, but is in the history of the card that is attached to the card. This is fascinating, right? And we are seeing some crazy stuff in terms of prices for some of these cards that are owned or have been owned by famous people. One, one point on that as well, which is related to understanding who is an owner, is the aspect of community. How do you think about NFTs and SoRare as a platform? There's people on SoRare who are connecting with each other, who are playing games, who are setting up teams. Like, And I see this on Twitter all the time. There's meetups of SoRare fans. How do you think that that you're able to build community in a different way because of what you're building as a platform? Yeah, I think first you need to be transparent and authentic and close to them and listening and moving fast. So you need to, to do the right things to engage in the very early days. I think that's very important. And then once you have this level of love that you want, you need to give them the tools to develop, like opening some stuff on the blockchain and then opening your API so that they can build on top in terms of products. And then giving them the tool to organize themselves and, and also to create all these events and content around the product. That, that's fascinating because I think community is such an important piece of all of this when you think about how this can engage fans. And my guess is teams and players also understand the value of that as well. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. That's a very important aspect for them as well to, to keep an engaging ex- existing fan. That, that's fascinating. So, all right, we've gone from sporting world to investing world to community. I always end this podcast asking everybody what their favorite or most interesting alternative investment is. So what, what's yours? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. So uh, I don't know. Uh, do you consider Bitcoin as an alternative investment? Absolutely. Or? It was, even if it's in the mainstream now. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, so I'm not a big owner, but I have some from the early days and I consider themselves as collectibles. And I think that was maybe the, the very beginning of my thinking about Soran. For me, this quantity that's baked in Bitcoin, like there's 21 million, sounds like a collectible. Uh, and so I wanted to attach more cultural value to use one of your words. And that's how the company uh, started. So do you think people will think of the collectible value more? And that's really part of what So Rare is doing is that the way in which assets get valued may change because it's not just the face value of the, the card or the player, but it's the sentimental value. And then... There may be a price that somebody would sell, but it, it has a different market price because of the value. You may not sell Bitcoin until 
a certain point because of that sentimental value you have. Totally, and totally. And we're going to go big on it. Ryan Spoon, our new CEO of a same product, is big, big collector. He owns a huge physical collection. And so we're going to do a lot for users uh, to be able to collect and share their accounts on social networks with their friends, show who they are as fans, and develop more unicity about the accounts with the backgrounds, with the design, and so on. We're going to explore some collaborations with artists outside of the sports world, some limited editions. There's a lot, a lot of very cool stuff that we're going to develop in the coming months. So on that point, what do you want to see the future be for for so rare in terms of ambition our aim is to create the biggest entertainment brand in the world starting with sports in terms of the impact we want to have we want to be the place where the sports fans meet their friends spend time with their friends this element is very important to me also the place where they show who they are because they do well in the game and they collect and so on and also the place where they have fun and they're creating this new connection with the sports uh, watching the sports in particular that's what we want to build Right at the intersection of culture and finance. This is fascinating. Congrats on what you've built, Nicholas. It's been incredible to watch this ride and also exciting that you're bringing the world of sports to the world of investing and vice versa. It's exciting and fascinating for everyone. So thanks for sharing the story. Thanks for coming on the podcast. It was great to have you. Thank you, Michael. It was a fascinating conversation. Thank you, Michael. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to this episode of Alt Goes Mainstream. I hope you enjoyed it. You can find more episodes of the podcast at any of your favorite podcast sites, and you can read more about alts at my Substack, altgoesmainstream.substack.com, and follow me on Twitter at, at Michael Sigmore and at GoesAlt. Thanks a lot, and have a great day. We're going mainstream.